Morning, everyone. Good to see you. Um, hopefully, you are well. We are going to get straight to it. So we're doing a little series in August. There are five Sundays, and we are doing a little series, and it's all about Bible legends, learning from the great. It will come up on the screen for you in just a moment. Today, we're looking at Moses. This guy, when it comes to legends, oh my goodness. I have to say, when I finally get up there, and um, after some time when I've finally got off my face before Jesus, I am off to find Moses. I have got so many questions to ask this guy. So I have gone to a lot of trouble, but I have managed to dig out a photo, actually, of him. Um, And here it is. This is a photo of him. See? That is about 5000 BC-ish taken on a fairly early camera, but I thought it captured the light quite well. Um, Anyway, that is Moses. What a dude. So I'm going to tell you for about 10 minutes of this, I'm going to try and whiz through his life story. Now, if you really were going to do Moses any justice, it would be no exaggeration to say you would take a year. The guy, there's there's so much that happened in his life, but I'm going to whiz through. So hold on to your hat. Here we go. Moses' life story. It's found mainly in Exodus, particularly the, uh, the early part. He was born to a Jewish lady at the time when the Israelites were being oppressed by the Egyptians. So some of you may, may remember the story of Joseph and his amazing technicolor dream coat, or that Joseph, that guy. Um, he went to Egypt. He was sold as a slave, and then he rose to power in Egypt. Um, he interpreted a dream, which meant the Egyptians got ahead of everyone else because they knew a famine was coming, so they had loads of stores of food. The rest of the known world at the time ran out of food. They all came to Egypt uh, to find food, and Egypt made them slaves. So that's why they're all slaves. Um, so Moses, when he was born, was born to an, a, a slave. The Jews, the Israelites, the Hebrews at the time, they were slaves. So he was born to a slave lady. But he couldn't be hidden. After a while, they realized he couldn't be hidden. So he was placed in a Moses basket. That's why they're called Moses baskets. It was covered in pitch, tar, floated in the Nile. And of all people that picked it up, it was Pharaoh's daughter that saw the basket. So Pharaoh's daughter decided that she would raise him. Only she decided she would effectively get like a nurse to help raise him and she asked one of her servants to go and find a nurse that could raise this child and ended up picking Moses' mother. I know, what are the chances? So he was brought up as an Egyptian, but he later learned his true identity as a Hebrew, an Israelite. He saw an Egyptian slave master beating an Israelite slave, and so Moses murdered the Egyptian slave master, and the Bible says he buried him in the sand. And he then fled about 250 miles to a place called Midian. And he fled when he realized that even his fellow Israelites knew what he'd done, and they were angry with him. Even though he was trying to stick up for them, they figured, we're going to get in shed loads of trouble here. And this, we, we don't want you here. While he was in Midian, he met his wife Zipporah after rescuing her and her sisters from some nasty shepherds, they had a son, Gershom. In the meantime, the Israelites were suffering 
under their captivity and slave labor. You following? God heard their cries and spoke to Moses through a burning bush. Now, this is a brilliant bit in the Bible, in the King James. It's one of those wonderful understatements that I can't help thinking has lost something over the years uh, in its translation, where Moses comes upon this bush that is on fire but isn't burning up. And he says, and I quote, Behold, this bush doth burn. Yes, I think it's lost something of, ah, probably was more like what he said. God was in the bush, yes, and he said to Moses, you need to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Moses wasn't confident to go, but God promised that he'd perform mighty signs to him. Moses went. Pharaoh said no. Various plagues followed. The Nile turned to blood. There were lots of frogs, gnats, flies, plagues on livestock, boils, hail, Still, Pharaoh was saying no, locusts, darkness, and finally, all the firstborn people and livestock would die. So God told the Israelites, who were in the land as slaves, to cover their doorposts in blood from a sacrificed lamb, and death would not come near to them. In fact, death would quite literally pass over them. And that is where we get Passover from. That lamb, of course, ultimately the sacrificial lamb was Jesus, and he fulfilled that Passover festival. Anyway, this is exactly what happened, and Pharaoh released all the Israelites that night in the night, and they left captivity, having been given many articles of silver and gold by their captors. They left after 430 years of captivity. They left with flocks and herds too, and possibly as many as anywhere between one to three million people left. God led them by a pillar of cloud in the day and a pillar of fire at night. Pharaoh soon changed his mind and went after them, and they reached the Red Sea. Everybody freaked out. Moses told them, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring you today. And that might be for you too, right now. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. That's what Moses told the people. And then secretly he kind of went to God and went, what am I supposed to do? There's a sea in front of us. There's an Egyptian army legging it after us. What am I supposed to do? God says these incredible words, why have you stopped? Uh, Because there's a massive flowing river there. God tells him to stretch out his arms with, his, with the staff in his hands, the sea parts, and it says that the Israelites crossed on dry land. Dry land. Nuts. And then the Egyptian army followed them into the water, and God let the water flow back, and they were all killed and drowned. Fictitious. Mm. Search online for archaeological evidence where chariot wheels have been discovered at the possible crossing point. Very interesting. God told Moses to come up a mountain. He gave Moses ten commandments for the people. Moses was up there a few days and came down with a glowing face and the ten commandments carved in pieces of stone that God had carved himself. A set of laws that people were to live by and are still considered some of the finest societal, structural laws ever created. 
and many judicial systems use it as their basis. Forty years after wandering in the wilderness with lots of manna and quail from heaven and a ton of moaning, in the end, God said that a whole generation would not see the promised land. This journey should have taken 40 days, but due to their whinging and their lack of trust in God, God said, if you complain in the desert, you'll remain in the desert. He didn't actually use those words. That's my paraphrase. You can tweet that if you want. Moses then oversaw, going on, the construction of the tabernacle. So this was like a mobile temple. We don't have temples anymore because our body is the temple. Because when we say yes to Jesus, Jesus comes and lives on the inside of us by his Holy Spirit. But not in those days. He lived in a place. And you couldn't build a temple because they were on the move. So they had to build like a tent temple called a tabernacle. So God inhabited this particular place on top of the ark, Ark of the Covenant, Indiana Jones, go and watch it. And on top was called the mercy seat and that's where God's presence was. In the ark, among other things, were the Ten Commandments. Moses then oversaw the establishing of the Levitical tribe. Now, Jacob had 12 sons. Those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. God said, those 11 tribes, fine, you crack on. This 12th tribe, the Levites, you're mine. Your job is to minister to me 24-7. Now we're all called as priests, but that's what it was then. So he oversaw, Moses, the establishing of the Levitical tribe who were to be priests to God. Through Moses, a whole system of offerings and sacrifices were established that would be done away with when Jesus came, as Jesus fulfilled this whole part of the law. And thank goodness, he was the one and ultimate sacrifice. Moses identifies and raises up a successor, which took years. Furthermore, having wandered in the desert for 40 years, Moses, right near the end, lost his rag. And when people were complaining about not having enough water, he struck the rock instead of speaking to it. Water flowed nonetheless, but God said, you didn't honour me in front of other people, and therefore you are now not going to enter the promised land. The book of Genesis, right at the beginning, and then you've got Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. Basically, they are Moses and other stuff in there, but that is Moses. He ends up with a unique, in history, to my knowledge, a unique burial, and we'll come on to his burial in just a minute. So, a couple of points I just want to draw out from his life. Here is one. It says this, if you don't come with us, then I'm not going. Now, Moses was a man who went after God's heart. He had connection with God. He had the most amazing experiences and encounters with God. In fact, when he'd been with God, his face glowed so much that they ended up having to put a veil over his face because people couldn't bear to look at him because they were still, he was still so radiating the glory of God. In fact, Moses had been up the mountain to meet with God. This is the second time, 40 days and 40 nights. He was gone too long. So people persuaded Aaron, like a second in command, to fashion a god in the shape of a calf. This is how fickle we are. Crazy, you imagine, as the Israelite people, everything that God had just done, 
all those plagues, all the deliverance, the Red Sea parting, and then because Moses is up a mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, they think, oh well, that's him gone. Let's fashion a calf out of some of the earrings that we, made, that we got when we left Egypt. That's exactly what they did. Well done, Aaron. Moses came back down the mountain and he lost it with them. A mini plague broke out and more. Moses had to go back to God at the tent of meeting and speak with him face to face. Now, if you just look, Exodus 33, I'm going to read it to you. So Moses went in to the tent of meeting and they, they had a bit of a chat. God and Moses, all about what had just gone on and the fact that they'd fashioned this calf and everything else. And God, he was really not happy. <laughs> so Moses said to the Lord, hang on a minute, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know who you're going to send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways. And this is all because God had said, I, I can't come with you. Honestly, if I come with you, I'm just going to kill a lot of you. I am so fed up with you all. You are a stiff-necked people. Tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. That's what he says. Moses, this, and this is the bit I love. Moses says to the Lord, you've been telling me lead these people. You've not said who's going to come with me. And so on. If you're pleasing me, teach me your ways so that I can know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember, God, remember, this nation is your people. You pick these people out. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. What? This is amazing. So God has absolutely had it with the Israelite people Yet because Moses keeps coming after God, keeps wanting to know his heart, keeps hanging out with God, doing life with him, because of that reason, he is able to have this in-depth conversation where he starts reasoning with God. God says, I'm not coming. And Moses says, God, you can't not come because if you don't come, then what's it going to look like to everyone else? We're supposed to be your people and now you're saying you're not coming. You can't not come. In fact, you know what, God, if you're not coming, I'm not going. Wow. If I'd been anywhere near it at that point, that's where you'd have quietly stepped back like this and gone, wow, I'm leaving you two to it. But I love the fact that he was able to reason with him. And then, straightway after, it says this. The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses in brackets, figuring he was on a roll, said, now show me your glory. Wow. Now show me your glory. And this incredible bit where God's glory is all his goodness magnified. And God basically warns him, there's no way you can see that and live. So I'm gonna, I will go past you, but I'm going to have to hide you in the cleft of a rock. And I will go past you, and you'll only see my back once I've gone past you. Read it. It's all in there, but we're not talking about it today. But the point is this. Friendship and intimacy with God 
make space for us to contend and negotiate with him. Friendship and intimacy with God make space for us to contend. Now, obviously, we're not actually in contention with God, but it enables us to come before God and say, God, come on, and to be able to reason with God and say, God, okay, well, how about this? And God says, yeah, I want to do that for you. I can see you're a man after my heart. I can see you're a woman who's coming after me. I've seen you in the secret places where no one else has seen you. I've seen what you're like. I've seen those decisions you make. I know your heart is for me. So that friendship and intimacy we have with God, he invites us then into that space where we can contend and negotiate with him. It's such a beautiful characteristic of his life. So the second element of Moses' life, and we are going to have to race through this, I've just seen the time, is this. It'll come up. Choose life. Now, right near the end of Deuteronomy, right near the end of Deuteronomy, Moses effectively has now put in place all the law, everything that they have to follow. The people have been established as a group of people, as the Jews, the Israelites, the Hebrews, whatever name. And Moses has been responsible for receiving the law from God, a set of guidelines over how they should operate with each other over so many things. Just read Leviticus. It's a wow of a book if you find the wrong chapter. And this is what Moses says. This is now he, he knows he's going to die. He knows his time is coming. Joshua has been raised up and is taking over. And this is what Moses says, Now I'm commanding you today, and what I'm commanding is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask, well, who will ascend into heaven to go and get it? Nor is it beyond the sea so that you'll have to ask, well, who's going to cross the sea to get it and proclaim it so that we can, so we can obey it? No, the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart so that you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity or death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, decrees and law. Then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. So this is a speech to the whole of the people saying, Israelite, you must have had a loud voice. Israelite, you are God's chosen people. I, God has chosen, set out before you the path. If you do this, this will happen. If you choose to ignore God, disobey God, make another calf, this will happen. And it's absolutely incredible that as soon as Moses finishes this speech, the most amazing thing is that God says to him, they're going to rebel. They are going to rebel. And my heart, honestly, goes out to Moses at this point. He thinks, I've done all this. I've done everything I can do. He's now 120 years old. I've done everything I can do. And God says to him, they're going to rebel. It's going to go seriously south. And Moses was the most incredible man, the most phenomenal leader that put up with such a bunch of struggling, whinging, desperate people. Moses ends up singing a song. Um, he teaches them a song because God gave him a song and said, 
teach this song to the Israelites and when you're gone, they can sing it to remember this. And this is, this is what happened. Oh, I've just about got time to tell you. I've got to find my bookmark. This, if we can, there we go, his death. Pretty much unique. I didn't even, this won't appear in the notes, but if you want to look it up, it's Deuteronomy 34. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah across from Jericho. I've made a lot of those pronunciations up, but go with it. There the Lord showed him the whole land and he basically said, this land that you can see from the top of this mountain, this is the land that you're about to inherit. This is the land I promised to you. You can see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. Remember, he struck the rock. He's now about to die, not because he struck the rock, but because his time's up. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab as the Lord had said, and he, God, buried him. That is pretty unique. Moses so made God's day that God himself buried him. Wow, that is absolutely amazing. So, that is Moses. I encourage you. Yes, read the trashy novel over the summer, but also pick up the Bible, find a really decent, easy to read translation and work your way through, even if you just work your way through Deuteronomy or just Exodus, the the stories of what Moses did, he honestly, truly was a phenomenal legend and he did it all pre-cross before he even had the Holy Spirit living on the inside of him. So I hope that you find Moses an inspiration. We've got more Bible legends to come. He was an incredible man. And Father, we thank you for the life of Moses. One day I would love to spend some serious time asking him, how did you manage this? What did you do about that? What was it like when you went up the mountain and disappeared into cloud and met with God? And God... We want to be after your heart in exactly the way Moses was. We want to walk in the ways that you have set for us. Not through any fear of punishment, but because you have set before us life. And you say, choose life. And you invite us to that place of life. And if you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never said yes to him before, right now is a brilliant time. Just say yes to him. You can just put your hand on your heart. You don't have to do that. You can stand, but you don't even have to do that. And just say, God, I want to follow you. I want you. I want you. Please come and live on the inside of me. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for your presence here with us this morning and in every home. Even if people aren't watching this live and they're watching it in six months' time, I thank you, God, you are right there with them. Lots of love from us, particularly from Nick and I. We are absent the next couple of weeks and uh, Cornwall has the pleasure of our company for the next couple of weeks, particularly the sea at Cornwall. But lots of love from us. Have um, a fab couple of weeks while we're gone and we will see you again very soon. If you want any prayer, hop onto Church Online and someone can pray with you there. Thanks for listening to our podcast today and we hope you enjoyed it. For more information, visit ashfordvineyard.org or maybe drop into something if you're nearby. In the meantime, have a great week and know just how loved you are.